You are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Thursday, January 19th. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. On Friday evening, the Tibetan Buddhist monks of Gadansharza Monastery in India will begin their two and a half weeks of residency in Nevada County. Joseph Guida has the details. The California report examines the crisis that ensued in Madera County when its only hospital went out of business, 150,000 patients without local care. And we've got your regional news and weather topped off with an essay by Molly Fisk. This is the California report. I'm Adi Bolaños in San Francisco. Los Angeles City Council members are renewing calls for unarmed crisis response efforts by the LAPD. This comes after the first week of the year saw two fatal police shootings and the death of 31-year-old Keenan Anderson, who was repeatedly tased by officers. KPCC's Robert Grova has the story. In police body cam video released last week, 31-year-old Keenan Anderson appears distraught before officers tase him multiple times. Anderson died later that day. In other incidents, Takar Smith and Oscar Leon Sanchez appeared to be experiencing a mental health crisis when they were fatally shot by LAPD officers. Councilmember Marquise Harris-Dawson joined Black Lives Matter activists outside City Hall Tuesday. We do not respond to mental health calls with mental health care. We respond with guns and badges and shouting that people may or may not be in a position to adhere to. The city has selected three contractors to head up a pilot program that would send out unarmed mental health workers on nonviolent calls. According to LAPD Chief Michael Moore, of 31 officer shootings in 2022, 11 involved a person perceived to have a mental illness. For the California Report, I'm Robert Garova in Los Angeles. Pacific Gas and Electric is in criminal court again, this time to fight charges it killed four Shasta County residents in a 2020 wildfire. KQED's Dan Brecky has more. The company is facing four counts of manslaughter for its alleged role in starting the Zog fire near Redding. Shasta County prosecutors allege that the utility is criminally responsible because it failed to identify and remove a damaged tree that fell on power lines and sparked the fire. PG&E has pleaded not guilty and says failing to remove the tree does not amount to a crime. A preliminary hearing that began yesterday in Redding is expected to last into next month. PG&E previously pleaded guilty to 84 counts of involuntary manslaughter for starting the 2018 campfire in Butte County. For the California Report, I'm Dan Brecky. For Madera County near Yosemite, the new year has brought more than just stormy weather. The county's only hospital closed. That leaves 150,000 residents without specialty care, without an emergency room, and many of the hospital's 700 employees without a job. Omar Rashad and Dipna Uguoju are reporters with Fresno Land. They did a deep dive to figure out how this happened, and they join me now. Omar, a lot of people were caught off guard by Madera Community Hospital closing because they thought it was going to be acquired by a larger company named Trinity Health. Can you tell us what happened? As is required by law, Attorney General Rob Bonta had to assess the merger deal Um, with Trinity Health and Madera Community Hospital, and he issued specific conditions that his office says would have 
kept healthcare affordable for Madeira's residents. And shortly after his office issued those conditions, Trinity Health backed out of the deal. The Madeira Community Hospital announced that it would soon file for bankruptcy. And, and, and that leaves more than 150,000 people in, in Madeira County without a local hospital. And one of the doctors you spoke to said it pretty plainly, patients are going to die. What are people who need medical care doing now? Without those clinics and without the hospital, you really have important integral healthcare access just missing in a community. And, and right now, if a Madarian who's he's you know close to southern Madera County are at least a half an hour drive away from the closest hospital, which is um, St. Agnes Medical Center in Fresno, a lot of Madarians may not be able to make that trip. They may not own a car or a vehicle. They may not have a friend who can drive them. You know, that's that's a huge impact because the closure of the Madera Community Hospital has now pushed its emergency patient volume to three hospitals in Fresno County. And when I checked in with the county last week, they said that as of January 9, all hospitals in Fresno County were at 100% capacity and, and one hospital was at 118% capacity. Dimpna, what about those employed by the hospital? Of course, you know, there are the doctors and the nursing staff, but I'm thinking of, you know, the housekeepers, janitors. Being from that area myself, I know there aren't a ton of opportunities for work. How are they dealing with this? There was a woman who is now 66 years old who has been with the hospital for more than 30 years. And yes, she could possibly, if she wants, find a job in Fresno, but driving is an issue for her. And also, she doesn't have skills that are easily transferable. And there are people who are kitchen helpers who served food to patients who did menial work throughout the hospital that are now without jobs. So it is a big loss job-wise for many people in the Madeira area. And we know this isn't a unique situation. I know Kwea Medical Center in Tulare was facing similar financial issues earlier last year. What does this say about the financial structure of medical facilities that might need to change? I think that ultimately leaders, and I'm I'm talking about statewide or countywide or even nationwide, need to look at several issues, including the way the rural hospitals or the smaller hospitals are compensated by medical insurance groups, particularly the government-sponsored medical insurance groups like Medi-Cal or Medicaid. I see. And finally, is there anything going on in the county or in surrounding areas to support these patients who relied on this hospital for so long? There are plans. Nothing has materialized so far. Thank you both so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. That was reporter Omar Rashad and Dimpna Ugwoju with Fresno Land. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Healthcare where their greatest reward is a healthy patient. The Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved youth, and Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, which bets early on exceptional people making the world better, on the web at schmidtfutures.com. 
And that's the California Report for Thursday, January 19th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. And remember, you can get all your daily statewide news on the California Report podcast. Subscribe and download wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Turning to regional news, the Sacramento Bee reports in today's edition that El Dorado County has joined the cavalcade of entities filing suit against Pacific Gas and Electric Company. Its suit alleges that PG&E equipment caused last year's mosquito fire. David Livingston, El Dorado County Council, said in a prepared statement issued this morning, the lawsuit seeks to hold PG&E accountable and to help our community rebuild after this devastating fire. The mosquito fire ignited September 6th near the Oxbow Reservoir at the Middle Fork American River, burning nearly 77,000 acres or 120 square miles. It destroyed 78 structures, including dozens of homes in the Placer County community of Michigan Bluff and the El Dorado County town of Volcanoville. About 11,000 residents were ordered to evacuate over the course of the fire, including the towns of Georgetown and Forest Hill. It was contained October 27th. El Dorado County officials said in a news release that the lawsuit, filed Wednesday in San Francisco Superior Court, includes as co-plaintiffs the El Dorado Water Agency, Georgetown Divide Public Utilities District, and Georgetown Divide Fire Protection District. The county filed the lawsuit one day before PG&E officials were due to appear in Shasta County Superior Court for a criminal case related to the 2020 Zog Fire, which killed four people. Cal Fire investigators have blamed the Zog Fire on PG&E equipment. Shasta prosecutors have charged PG&E with four counts of involuntary manslaughter. According to today's B story, PG&E spokesman James Noonan said in an emailed statement that the utility recognized the impact of the mosquito fire. It stated, PG&E filed an electric incident report with the California Public Utilities Commission in September. There has been no official determination of cause of the mosquito fire, and the U.S. Forest Service's investigation is ongoing. We are cooperating fully with this effort. The Placer County Water Agency has filed a separate lawsuit in Placer Superior Court, blaming PG&E for the fire and alleging that damage to its electricity transmission infrastructure stopped energy production at the Middle Fork American River project, costing the water agency tens of millions of dollars in power production sales. Due to cold overnight temperatures, Nevada County and Sierra Roots will accept guests at the temporary cold weather shelter at the Nevada City Veterans Hall until 8 this evening. The shelter will close at 7.30 Friday morning. The entrance is on the lower level at 415 North Pine Street. This morning, Ubanet.com shared some eye-popping Nevada City precipitation totals for the water year that began October 1st. As of this morning, Nevada City had experienced almost 41 inches of precipitation. Ubanet noted that in 2022, total precipitation was 42.29 inches. In 2021, the total was 23.30 inches. In the regional forecast from the National Weather Service, the most recent storm has passed and a sunny but cool weather pattern will persist for the next week with no rain or snow in our local forecast until the end of the month. Nevada City and Grass Valley will be clear tonight 
with a low around 28. The forecast is for northeast wind up to 10 miles per hour, with gusts as high as 20 miles per hour. Friday will be sunny and clear, with a high near 49 and a low around 29. In Trekkie and Lake Tahoe tonight, mostly clear with a low around 8 degrees and northeast wind around 10 miles per hour. Friday will be sunny and mostly clear with a high near 30 and a low of 8. Tonight in Sacramento and Woodland will be clear with a low around 33. North-northwest wind of around 15 miles per hour is expected with gusts as high as 25 miles per hour. Friday will be sunny with a high near 51 and north wind up to 10 miles per hour. Friday night, expect some patchy fog and widespread frost. Otherwise, mostly clear with light winds and a low around 31. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Friday is the day many people in our community wait for eagerly all year. The Tibetan Buddhist monks return to Nevada County for their local residency, this year at the Banner Community Guild in Grass Valley. KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza talks to Joseph Guida, founder of the Sierra Friends of Tibet, about the highlights of the monks' visit. Beginning January 20th and through February 4th, the Tibetan Buddhist monks of the historic Gaden Shartse Monastery will be in town offering the Wheel of Life sand mandala. With me now is Mr. Joseph Guida. How are you, Joseph? Good. Thank you, Claudio. I'm the founder of Sierra Friends of Tibet, which is the host and um, facilitator for the monks tour to come. Uh, they've been coming since 2001, and the only time they didn't come was during the pandemic. So we have 20 years that they've been visiting our community. Right. The first year was 2001. We had an immense snowstorm during the time. And it all we had uh, an incredible uh, tragedy at the mental health building. Right. Uh, I don't know if you remember that or know about it. At the Hugh building. And uh, the monks went there and, and blessed the building and took care of all the people, visited all the people in the hospital, and uh, endeared themselves to the community. So the monks are going to have their opening ceremony Friday night, January 20th at 7 p.m. And then Saturday morning is our kids and family morning, where we have five tables set up for uh, Tibetan cultural events. One table will be drawing. One table will be painting. One table will be making sculptures out of flour and butter. And two tables will be doing actual sand mandalas. And where will this be? At the Banner Community Guild, 12629 McCourtney Road, about a mile past the fairgrounds on McCourtney Road, it's on the left. We'll have a big sign out front on the road that says Sierra Friends of Tibet. And these things that you're describing, will that be happening every day that they're here? The two Saturdays, two Saturday mornings, January 21st and Saturday, January 28th, 10 a.m. to noon. What do they do between those two Saturdays? What do the monks do when they're here? Well, there's several uh, events, um, of course. Like the first Saturday at 2 p.m., there's a teaching. The teaching this year will be the eight verses of training the mind. It was uh, written in the 11th century, and it's amazing how these short little verses have so much information that's applicable today in modern times of how you're supposed to think about the external life that you live in. 
and how to think about your internal life and why you don't think that way. So it's making for a peaceful life. When His Holiness the Dalai Lama first fled Tibet in 1959, his first press conference in India, when some Western press person asked, what is Buddhism? He said, Buddhism is training the mind, and nobody understood it. Decades later, when people asked him, he would say it's a philosophy of life. Now the Dalai Lama says Buddhism is kindness. So he made it simpler and simpler and simpler for people to understand. And then Saturday night at 7 p.m. is the Shenrezig empowerment. Shenrezig is the Buddha of compassion. The, uh, the, the mantra for the Buddha of compassion is Omari Pemehom, uh, the jewel in the lotus, but it's actually more than that. And it will tell you that Sunday, the building is closed because there's a, 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 a church service in there. And so we decided not to interfere with anything they do, and we're not there any on the Sundays. Mondays, we're going to the ridge all day to go to uh, uh, two places on the ridge, a school and uh, another center. And then um, we have things all week long. The kids' things are the two Saturdays, the 21st and the 29th of January. We have group healings. We have prayers for the sick and dying and the recently deceased. We have teachings throughout the, the uh, th- two weeks that they're here. This year, the teaching is the eight verses of training the mind. The monks are going to—there's going to be an animal blessing, right? Yes. Um, we've uh, established a relationship with Animal Save. This will be the third or fourth time that the, uh, the Tibetan monks and Animal Save have gotten together, which is uh, just outside downtown Grass Valley. It's on uh, just off the roundabout. For old-time people here, it was where the, the Ford dealership used to be originally, and they have a large parking lot. So they're going to, from 2 to 3 o'clock on Saturday, January 29th, people come. If you bring a dog on a leash, please. If you bring a cat, either on a leash or in a container. If you bring birds, hopefully in bird cages. If you bring larger animals like a horse or a llama or a goat, hopefully they'll in the trailer, and the monks will go to the trailer and bless. And what's the intention of the blessing? What, what is it for? To help the animal with all its troubles and to help the relationship between the human and the animal. You know, these are all really interesting things. I feel like I really want to know why these monks go on tour. I mean, they've been coming for so many years. What's per- the purpose of their tour? This particular monastery comes to the United States on tour for two reasons. The first reason is to prove to Americans that Tibetan culture is alive and thriving, even though Tibet has been colonized by the Communist Party of China and forbids Buddhism. Buddhism, Tibetan Buddhism, exists in exile, and they want to prove it to the Americans. The second reason is is to support the monastery. This is the only way the monastery makes money, by touring the United States. I've been talking with Joseph Guida. He's the founder of the Sierra Friends of Tibet here in Nevada County. Joseph, it's a real pleasure to talk with you. The website again, www.sierrafriendsoftibet.com. The email, sierrafriendsoftibet at gmail.com. Thank you, Claudio. Thank you. A longer version of Claudio's interview with Joseph Guida is available as a podcast on our website, kvmr.org. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. I believe in the power of an empty mind when you're a writer. All kinds of things I've been thinking, which are just floating loose inside my head, can solidify if I offer them the chance, and that's the way I write poems. 
not usually with a theme or idea in mind, just a deep breath and an open notebook, my butt in the chair and the willingness to follow any odd thing that rises up to meet my pen. This is how I write my radio essays, too. I sit down on the sofa at seven in the morning and see what I have to say. Sometimes there are false starts and a little self-heckling along the lines of, oh, good grief, that sounds idiotic. Don't you have anything more interesting to write about? People are actually listening, you know. Then I calm down and remind myself that self-denigration is a tool of the devil and start again. If nothing comes to me right away, I might ask myself general questions like, what's been bugging you lately? Or what are you afraid to say? Maybe I'll think about categories. It's time for another essay on language or grammar. It's been a rainy week, so write something cheerful to boost people's spirits. No, you cannot write about your personal life again. Sometimes, very rarely, none of these tactics works, and I have to bring out my secret weapon. I use this only in real emergencies, like when it's already 10 a.m., and I'm supposed to record the essay at noon, but there is no essay. I say to myself, kindly, Okay, sister, fine, you can't think of anything. Then tell me this, what's true? For some reason, this question gets beyond all my defenses and starts me writing. What's true is my Rubicon and my Waterloo. For me, what matters in this world more than anything else is the truth. And everything I write, poems, letters to friends, my journal, these essays, is a way of trying to get there, to figure out what is true, minuscule or earth-shattering, momentous or irrelevant to anyone but me, and say it. The truth is, today is a momentous day for me in the writing department. You may not have been keeping track, but since I number these radio essays, I couldn't help but notice that this is number 579. I've double-checked. I really will have written 578 and 9 tenths essays by the end of this sentence. I am so proud of this, I could scream. I didn't know lickety-split about writing an essay when I was offered this gig. I don't care that people think they're poems, that I've gotten hate mail for some of my subjects, that I've been completely wrong on a couple of facts and had to apologize. I started with nothing and got to 579. It's a miracle is what it is. If I can do this, I can do anything. Swim across Lake Tahoe, write another book of poems, lose weight, stay out of debt, I just have to keep going and not stop. I could not have done this without you. Thank you so much for listening. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast for Thursday, January 19th. The KVMR Evening News was shocked to learn this afternoon of the death of David Crosby at the age of 81. 
In the coming days, you'll no doubt be hearing lots of music on KVMR from this bigger-than-life artist, a two-time inductee into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. KVMR Community Radio gets support from Serino's at Main Street, serving Italian cuisine since 1983. Open Wednesday through Sunday, 11 to 10 p.m. for lunch and dinner, offering private dining snugs available for customer safety and comfort. Information, serenos at MainStreet.com. And Chabad Jewish Center of Grass Valley, offering programs, classes, and traditional Shabbat and holiday events led by Rabbi and Rebetzin. Services include bris, bar and bat mitzvah, wedding officiating, and more. Rabbi at JewishGV.com. This is Joyce Miller signing off. Join us Friday for the next edition of the KVMR Evening News.